pleasure to be here. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so here's the circle of trust with Blaine Community Church, and here's Ryan out here is what Tyler's saying. Not quite, not quite in there. It is a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Um, I went to school in Blaine, actually. I'm a Blaine Borderite. I see, I was on the, my drive-in, I was thinking of the Blaine fight song, which I'm pretty sure I still remember. And I didn't sing it for my daughter. I think she would have loved it, but, um, but I didn't. So it's a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. One of the most unexpected turns in my life over the last 18 months is that my family now owns five rabbits. We own five of them. We didn't own any rabbits before 2020. But now we have how many? Five rabbits. So far, we still only have five rabbits. But you know, I think Tyler might want to do a sermon series on what happens when rabbits get together. I can guest preach one of those weeks too if you'd like me to, Tyler. See, my daughter, I've thought about this so much, everyone. I don't know how my daughter talked us into that first rabbit. I don't know how it happened. But she, I don't, it was a stress and tired decision, <laughs> I think is what it was. But we bought a rabbit, and we loved it. And we loved it so much that we decided to get a second rabbit. And you guys, you can't have two rabbits when you have three kids, <laughs> right? So now we have three rabbits. And then my wife really needed a rabbit. <laughs> and you can't have four rabbits with five people in the house. So we need to get dad a rabbit. We've had these things for well over a year, and I still don't know which one's mine. I brought some pictures to show uh, some of these rabbits. That's, we'll call that rabbit zero. <laughs> and that right there is the little con who talked us into the first one. And then, right, my kids and more of these rabbits. If you're, oh, there's too many kids in here, I'd make other jokes. I'll just scratch, scratch those out. <laughs> but here's the thing. We made some stress and fatigue decisions in 2020, <laughs> as evidenced by some of these pictures. We now have a whole garden that we didn't a year ago because these rabbits need fresh lettuce, kale, and carrots. And I water this garden twice a day. And every time I'm out there, I'm thinking, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. So I'm going to ask you, have you ever made a stressed or tired decision? Perhaps you're sitting next to somebody who comes to mind. Don't look at them right now. <laughs> Perhaps there's some people in this room right now that are here because of some stressed and tired decisions. That's pretty high waterline, I think, for a, a good joke, yeah? We'll just... 
This morning we're going to go through a text. We're continuing through the sermon series through Hebrews, Son of God. And we're going to go through a text and what the text references. And every time I read it, every time I think, man, how did they get here? How did they end up here? We're going to go through this, this portion in Hebrews uh, that references this. And I want to tell you at the outset, it's sad. It's out sad. It turns into this compound where God is angry. have consequences as a result of, of what goes on here. Numbers 20 says this. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. So that's just the first verse, and already it's pretty tough. See, the Israelite community, which is well over a million people, is wandering through the desert. Moses is leading them through what has been a pretty traumatic exodus in a pretty exciting, there's been plenty of uh, events in that, in that uh, walk that they're on to talk about. And they end up at a place that's dry and barren. They're tired and frustrated. And then Moses' sister dies. This is the same Miriam who actually saved his life when he was a baby. There is no doubt that they were close. Her name is mentioned several times in the scriptures. They were close. Scripture goes on. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Tensions building. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died with our, when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you want us to die here instead? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, figs, grapevines, pomegranates. There is no water to drink. So Moses is experiencing deep loss, is vilified, is tired and thirsty himself. Again, he's leading over a million people who are traumatized and unhealthy, unfaithful, and they're coming after him. I think the Bible's probably being kind when, he's, when it says they quarreled with Moses. Moses, who do you think you are? Just look at our situation. You are incompetent, unqualified, and just look at our results. People have died just to get us here. We're stuck here in the middle of nowhere without any resources. And just like any real abuse victim, Israel is thinking, you know what? It wasn't that bad in Egypt, now was it? Maybe we should go back. Moses is deeply aware of all of this, of course. And I imagine Moses is feeling victimized. Moses is feeling defensive and angry himself. And maybe even a little self-righteous. 
the story goes on. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly and gathered to the tent of meeting and fell face down before the Lord. The glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before your eyes, and it will pour out water. You will bring out water of the rock for the community, for them and their livestock. It's pretty beautiful. It's a pretty incredible response. Moses' response is amazing. I'm going to gather those close to me, and we're going to pray about this. It kind of reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is experiencing deep distress himself, and he gathers those closest to him. It's beautiful. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. When we're going through a really tough time, we huddle close. We gather together, and we seek the Lord together. So Moses, the story goes on, took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and this is where it starts to go sideways. Moses said, Listen, you rebels. And again, that's probably pretty clean. Let's say. This is a contentious, quarrelsome reaction. And actually, this is Moses that's writing the book of Numbers. So, listen, you rebels, is what it says here. But try to picture some real frustration and angst here. Listen here. Why what must we bring water from the rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses, Because you do not, did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he was proved holy among them. Tired decisions multiply. From one rabbit to five, to speaking, to hitting with the stick. Tired decisions multiply. Would you please pray with me as we begin? God, thank you so much for this uncomfortable and sad scene. I thank you for the beautiful examples, the tough lessons, and the authenticity and transparency that's in your word. God, would you help us to see it as it really is? And so see ourselves as we really are. God, to receive the right comfort and the right discomfort. God, help us to be like you. And would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. To me, this is one of the saddest pictures in the entire Bible. Moses' whole life and upbringing and training 
he helped codify a people. He wrote and recorded the law. He navigated the exodus. And two clicks with a stick, and he's out. Later on in the exodus story, you can tell that he and the Lord have been talking about it a lot. And the Lord at one point said, Moses, you're out. You're not going to go into the promised land, and we're not going to talk about it again. You are out. And the tragedy is that Moses dies on a hill overlooking a promised land that he is not allowed to enter. It's tragic. It's like God is telling Moses and the rest of us that you don't measure up and that you're not good enough. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalms when he says, so as the Holy Spirit says, this is in reference to that story we just went through. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me and they tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that I was angry with them and that generation, I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. All it took was two hits with a stick, and Moses is out. That's it, friends. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Two hits with a stick, and we're out. Moses lost his sister, was tired, responsible for over a million complainers, and it didn't matter. That was not a good enough excuse, and he's out. That's really difficult for us to hear. I do want to point out that God still provided. He still provided mercifully water from the rock. That is our God. He still provides, but there are severe consequences for disobedience. Let me get more specific here. God's frustration with these people is explicitly stated repeatedly in the Bible. It's two things. They were hard-hearted and they lacked faith. Time after time, God provided for them and he performed miracles and victories over their enemies. Time after time, they saw the miracles of the Exodus. They saw the plagues. They saw their provision and how Egypt was glad at the end of it to get rid of them and gave them their wealth. They saw it all. but they still didn't believe and they were still hard-hearted. Nothing was good enough for them. Jesus, in Matthew 11, starts putting these entire towns on blast. He's frustrated. And his complaints about them are the same things. Jesus is performing miracles. He's performing healings in this, these towns. He's feeding them. And still, they wouldn't believe. He says, I have performed all these miracles, and still, you won't believe in me. 
He's clearly frustrated, and just like the Israelites in the desert, with their hard-heartedness and their lack of faith. But at the end of that rant, Jesus says something that's remarkable. He says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and picture a yoke like shoulder pads for oxen, right, as they're plowing the fields. That's what a yoke is. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now let me unpack that for you. Jesus says, come to me, all of you. That, of course, means everybody with an earshot. All of you. All of you. Just come to me. But it also means, come to me, all of you. All of you. See, a few years ago, I'm sitting in my little Jesus cushion at home. I try to practice stillness and listening prayer, and I am not good at it. I'm not good at it. But I'm sitting there trying to be still before the kids get up, and I say some version of, Lord, we've got about seven minutes before we start coming downstairs. Six. Five minutes, Lord. If you want to speak, I'm listening for another four minutes. And then I hear it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And it was so beautiful. It was so comforting. I'm just like, Lord, thank you. Yes, I come to you today, and I receive what you have for me. Now I'm feeling pretty good. So the next morning, I sit on my little Jesus cushion. I say, Lord, you've got, you've got eight minutes today. Speak. And I hear the same thing. Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think, yes, this is, this is great. Yes, Lord. Yes. Then the third time, the next day, I sit down, and I hear the same thing. And now I'm starting to get a little worried. I kind of feel like Matt Damon at the end of Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams goes up to him and Robin wants to talk to him about his conflicted childhood and Robin goes up to Matt Damon and he says, it's not your fault. Matt Damon says, I know. I know. It's not your fault. Yeah. Yep, I know it's not. No, you don't, son. It's not your fault. And then Matt Damon's character starts to break down, and he's getting it differently. He knew it at an intellectual level, but there's a deeper knowing. There is a deeper knowing. Let me paraphrase. Come to me, all of you. 
parts of you that you love, that you know, that you're familiar with. The parts of you that are weary and burdened. And I will give them rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you. The parts of you that you know and present. The parts of you that you hide and suppress. The parts of you that get triggered. The parts of you that experience shame. The parts of you that run away. Come to me with all of your past. And all of your present. Come to me with all of your attention. All of your hopes for the future. All. If you don't hear anything else from me this morning, I hope you hear this. Jesus doesn't settle for most. He wants all of you. And he wants all of me. Jesus doesn't settle for most. You know, it's interesting to me that when Adam and Eve first sinned, God asked them one question. And it wasn't, what have you done? It wasn't, who do you think you are? It wasn't, how could you? It was simply this. Where have you gone? And it's not like God was saying, well, wait a minute. I just... I just had them right here. Jesus, have you, where did they go? He didn't lose them. We lost ourselves. Where have you gone? In a sense, where are you is a harder question. Because I would say most of the time, we don't know where we are. And we don't even notice how fragmented we are. Let me ask you that same question. Where are you? And don't hurry with that answer. But let it sit with you and make you uncomfortable. Where am I? Man, I'm trying to love my wife, kids, five rabbits, a labradoodle trying to follow Jesus, trying to be true to the gifts and talents that he's given me. I'm trying to be comfortable with myself and for you. I'm trying to be a friend, trying to check in on my aging parents, trying to be a neighbor. I'm everywhere. Sometimes I feel like I'm everywhere except for where I actually am. We are fragmented and disintegrated people. And Jesus is calling us back to himself for wholeness and rest. Isaiah says it this way. This is what, what, what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. Only in returning to me 
and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and in confidence is your strength. The invitation and call is to bring our whole self to Jesus, not just part of us. Israel kept seeking rest on their own terms, and that is not how this works. It works on his terms. So here's my concern in this part of the message. Concern that you're a little pulled apart. That maybe I've punched you where it hurts, and I don't want to leave you raw and discouraged. I don't want us all cutting in line to see the therapist. But it can feel overwhelming to look at the parts of ourselves that we intentionally avoid, that he is inviting into his presence. Because we experience shame, we want to hide. So I want to help. God's primary complaint, again, have two parts. Faithlessness and hard-heartedness. And he says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I know that it's hard, and I know that part of you is tired. But listen to what the author of Hebrews says. This is, this is, this is wonderful. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Said differently, be sure that all of you enter into it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they who heard did not combine it with faith. They heard the message, but they didn't act on it. So let me remind you what the gospel is. You and I are radically loved and accepted in Christ. Radically, wholly accepted in Jesus. When we believe, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus gifted to me. It didn't start with me or you, but it's gifted to us. It's foreign. He gives you his righteousness. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We're not saying, Lord, answer this prayer based on my credentials. We're saying, Lord, answer this prayer based on the gifted credentials of Jesus. Signed, your favorite son, Jesus Christ. It sounds heretical to say, but that's, the, that's central to our faith. We have the gifted righteousness of Jesus. And when we experience the parts of ourselves that are not in alignment with Christ, we get to bring those to him as well. We get to present him with the unbelieving parts of our hearts. We get to remind ourselves in those dark, unintegrated parts that even you, those parts of you, are loved and accepted in Christ. The promise of rest still stands. But it takes courage and faith to enter into it. Because we will have to be reconciled with him and ourselves. When we experience shame and triggering, sin and unmet needs 
in others and ourselves, we can enter into that space with great courage and boldness, just like Hebrews says. Because we have the gospel at our fingertips. Because we have Jesus. That's what it means to combine it with faith. Being real with it, not avoiding it or dismissing it, pretending it doesn't exist. We get to be with it and bring that to Jesus as well. Here's what I want to say to you. Giving your life to Jesus is not a one-time thing. It is a regular, continual, even progressive act. Jesus doesn't settle for most. He wants all. He keeps calling us deeper. He keeps calling us deeper. And in the deep, Jesus says, you will find me as humble and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. I'm going to read Jesus' invitation one more time, and I invite you to just close your eyes. And just breathe and be where you are. Come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I pray for you? God, just thanks. I thank you for your patience, your persistence, that you are still coming after us. God, I thank you that you see things that we can't, and that you are still bringing our whole self to you. Lord, would you help us to say yes? Give us clarity so that we can accept your invitation and receive your rest. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.